This is MC Fireside Chats, a weekly show devoted to the outdoor hospitality industry, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. You'll hear from special guests that focus on topics to help your business succeed, all backed by Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks here for our regular recurring glamping show episode that we have on the second Wednesday of every month. I'm excited to have the show. I'm not excited to be inside. It's rainy and dreary, which is really weird for Calgary because it's a dry city. And we're thankful to have the rain because the wildfires appear. But I would rather be outside. So you'll just have to look at my pretty fountain through the window and suffer with my indoor couch and background and everything else. But super excited to talk about all things glamping here. We have a couple of our recurring guests. We've got Irene Wood joining us again. We've got Connor Schwab from Sage Outdoor Hospitality. And we have David Smith from, what is the name of your company, David? You haven't been here in so long. I was about to say it and then I don't know the name. Outside Capital. Outside, I was, all right, outside. Thanks, Capital. Irene. Who is outside? Thank you. All right. So David Smith is really important, but he couldn't be here for the last few weeks. So we're excited to have him back. And then we've got Annette from Rustic Rook Resort, who's one of our special guests. She's got a place that is located about 19 miles from Great Sand Dunes National Park. We were talking about this before the show, whether it just became it or didn't. But either way, it seems like a great place to be near a national park where people definitely want to go and enjoy the outdoors. And then we are super grateful to have Dimfi all the way from Romania, who owns a new quiet campsite in Romania located in, I'm not going to pronounce it, so I'm going to let Dimfi. Let's just start with Dimfi and she can introduce herself and she can pronounce everything right and then we'll know and we can claim to have known all along. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce it perfectly because I'm from the Netherlands and I'm having a campsite in Romania. So when I ever pronounce a Romanian word, it's not completely correct. So I will first say how I would describe the name in the Netherlands, Valea Schailor. And when I do it in Romania, Valea Schailor. So it's a bit different. Still better than an American or Canadian would pronounce it probably. But go ahead. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, tell us a little bit about your campsite and just introduce yourself briefly and then we'll go around the room. I want to have a net introduce yeah. yourself. And... Yeah, I've recently started a campsite in Romania because we moved to Romania because of my husband's work. And it always had been a dream for me to have a campsite. And the first year that we were living in Romania, we went around with a RV to see the places and in this area we could not find the campsite but we did want to stay over because it's a wine area so we wanted to do a wine tasting and stay in this area which was the wine tasting was possible but staying on a campsite was not possible yet since then we've been developing it and it was my dream to have a campsite or when I spoke to local people saying that I wanted to start a campsite many of them said they didn't own an RV or a tent So then I also came up with the idea of starting a glamping. And that's really new here for Romania. In the Netherlands, it's well known. But in Romania, it's pretty new. So I started that and I just put it on booking.com. And within 12 hours, I've got my first booking. So we're very close to the capital of Bucharest. Bucharest, that's the capital of Romania. And it's only 50 miles away. So many people that live in the capital come to visit our glamping during the weekend. So it's been a success since we started. I like how you said miles, because I'm still getting used to kilometers and everywhere else. So I looked uh, it up front for the show. <laughs> it's a nod to the, all the Americans on the show. So 
All right, put it back. Annette, do you want to introduce yourself real quick and talk about Rustic Brook? Sure. Yeah. My name's Annette. I'm with Rustic Creek Resort. We started up in 2020. We're also a glamp ground. We're in Moscow, Colorado. And as you mentioned, we're 19 miles from the Great Sand Dunes National Park. So we've got 30 glamping tents. They're just like hunting style wall tents on wooden platforms. They're fully furnished. They're all facing the dunes and the mountains. We're also in the largest alpine valley in the world, San Luis Valley. So we've got beautiful views of three different mountain ranges here. So we've been having a great time hosting people since 2020 and hoping for another good fourth season. Can't really complain about views like that, for sure, when you're going to work every day there. Not at all. Connor and uh, Irene and David, let's let David go. David, do you want to introduce yourself again since you haven't been on here in a little bit? And then is there anything new in your world, David, since we hadn't had you on in a couple of weeks that you feel like we should be talking about? Sure. Yeah. Um, David Smith, as Irene so kindly introduced our company, I'm the founder of a platform called Outside Capital, which is an investment management company focused specifically on what we call outdoor hospitality, which we define as spanning everything from clamping to new age campgrounds and RV parks to other more traditional forms of nature-based hotels and hospitality. We started the platform about a year ago. My background is primarily on finance and real estate side of the hotel business, but have always been a passionate outdoors person and really fascinated and, and inspired by the growth of this alternative clamping outdoor hospitality industry. So our mission at Outside Capital is to try and tackle what we think is probably the biggest, one of the biggest barriers, at least the, the ongoing growth of this industry, which is the availability of capital financial capital to, to do deals. And so we've got dedicated capital sources. We, we serve as partners to sponsors and entrepreneurs in the space. And then we also sponsor our own projects around the country. So I'm based in Los Angeles. We probably compared to last year, we've spent a little more time closer to home the first six months of 2023, which has been really nice for me, a little bit less time on airplanes and a lot more time driving up and down the 101 here in California. Well, my bucket list, I haven't been there yet, but it's on my bucket list. Yeah, it's a beautiful state and we're, we're blessed. Proximity to the beaches, the mountains, the desert, wine country, everything else in between. I've been, to, I've been to California. I just haven't been up and down. The 101 is the coastal highway, right? Right up against the coast for parts of it. And then it's a little bit further in like other parts. But you're probably thinking of California Highway 1 is the Pacific. Yeah, that's the one I I wanted to drive up to the Monterey Bay Aquarium there. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry. That's it. Yeah, we're spending most of our time at the moment on a few projects we're working on here in California, in the Central Coast, in the Northern California wine country. And uh, we're seeing a ton of growth around the rest of the country. Definitely... 2023 feels very different to 2022 so far in terms of overall availability of capital. And anyone who's tried to take out a bank loan this year will know that it's a lot harder to do. It's a lot more expensive. We're trying our best to fill in what we think is a pretty big gap in the market for, for this sort of stuff and having a lot of fun doing it. For sure. I definitely want to deep dive with you in that a little bit later on the show, especially since it's been a couple months since you've been on it to see how that climate has changed and what you're what you feel alternatives are for people and how your firm is helping for sure. 
I want to make sure we give our special guests enough time here in the beginning too. But before we do, Connor, Irene, is there anything on your plate that's come across your desk from a glamping perspective that you feel is we have to talk about this? We can't miss it. Connor, I'll let you go first. Need to be for beauty. No pressure. Let's see. Yeah, put me on the spot there, Brian. Let's see. There's I'm trying to think of. I mean, can just say no. There's nothing, Brian. That's allowed. Let me think on that for a minute. All right, I, you think. go I ahead, would, Brian. I would just say that there's been, and for whatever reason, it feels like, and Connor, you can probably see that there's just been a ton of articles that have come out in probably the last thirty days as it relates to whether they're international or also national publications that are talking a lot about this industry, some of the trends that they're seeing. There was a huge article that came out of, and maybe you were the one to highlight it, out of Africa, some of the trends that they initially saw, owner-operated, that segment, and how that segment is still staying true to owner-operated and not really getting picked up in a huge roll-up. So there's just been a lot of data and conversation out there and publication. I'm sure you probably share it, but because it seems like there's more of it in the last 30 days than I've ever seen before. Just as a lot of really good reading out there right now. Yeah, I would love to take credit for that, but that's for sure my team at Modern Campground who does all that. So that's Sakari yep. and Shara and Mao and Rain, our writers. But yeah, we do our best to, we're trying to expand and cover as much as we can in all different places of the globe. But I think that's, and maybe you can speak to that a little bit, David, real quick before we get to our special guest. But I think that the way investment works from a roll-up standpoint, I think it has to start with the small mom and pops to develop the market in most cases. And then once the market's there, then the big bigger boys come in and are attractive. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I agree with what you said, Brian. Go ahead, Connor. Sorry. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I was going to say is that we're seeing the tip of the spear, I think, particularly in the RV segment. And a lot of people are interested in doing this in the glamping segment, but the market just isn't mature enough. There's not enough businesses that have stabilized for any sort of roll-up strategy in the glamping space. But what we're seeing in the RV and campground spaces, it's starting to get a little bit more institutional and sophisticated. And I think it's start, I think what we're going to see in the RV and campground space, it's starting to follow the hotel industry. And we're just seeing the tip of the spear with that. And that essentially means more technology for dynamic pricing, reservation systems, marketing and advertising are some of the big things. Something of a star report, which is what our company is really working on, tracking the data to give people better investment data. Yeah. So yeah, I totally agree with everything you guys said. All right. I definitely want to dive into that a little bit later in the show, but I want to make sure we get to our special guests. So let's start with, can we start with Annette from Rustabrook Resort? Great Sand Dunes National Park. I honestly, I'm trying to, is that, where is that? I don't even know. I feel like I should know. I've been literally everywhere in America for six years building a company, driving all over the place, and I can't picture in my head where that is. So it's kind of south central Colorado. We're okay. about two hours from the New Mexico border. Okay. I was hoping it was New Mexico because we have been to White Sands National Monument. Okay. So I was thinking like the only two dunes I can really picture in my head are New Mexico and way up in Michigan by Traverse. Yeah, I think we're about maybe four, five to six hours from the White Sand Dunes National Park. I've not been there yet, but it's on my list. Yeah, I took my stepdaughter there years ago to go sledding down the dunes. Was yeah, and we do that here too. So that's another thing. We rent sleds out. So it's just, it's a super family-friendly national park. I'm sure the White Sand Dunes are too. It's just, you don't have to worry about if you have little kids that they're going to fall off a cliff, which is comforting to parents. Yeah, I feel like that would be comforting, Jill's Yeah, it yeah, makes sense. You should use that in your marketing. So tell us a little bit about Rustic Rook Resort. How did you get started? What it's, what's it all about? 
Sure. So we this, we moved from Illinois, the Flatlands, about six years ago, and we didn't really know what we were going to do, but we knew we wanted to do something campground-like in Colorado. We'd always loved Colorado, and my husband's sister-in-law moved there, and we went out to see her, and she's all the campgrounds in Colorado are the ones she likes. They're booked pretty much during the winter, and we thought, wow, that there's that much demand here. So that kind of sparked some interest. And my husband and I, we owned a painting company and my husband didn't want to leave his dad with the painting company all by himself because he was getting older. And then they decided they were moving to Tennessee. So that kind of, they left us and that kind of opened it up. So we sold everything, packed everything up and we bought a camper and just did the big two or three month kind of tour of America to see what was out there and just really learn what we might want to do. And then we settled in Colorado Springs, started life again, started real jobs, got the money flowing in again. And then we just started looking around. And within about two years, we settled on this area. It just, there wasn't any, there wasn't a lot of competition. There wasn't a lot, there was demand, but just not enough places to stay. There was no glamping. There was already primitive sites. There was already RV sites, but nothing glamping. So we decided on glamping and then we started construction in February of 2019 after getting like our permitting and all that lined up. My husband and I both have construction backgrounds, so he was the superintendent on the ground, and then I was like project manager, ordering, purchasing stuff and everything, and then I joined him when we were getting close to opening, and I hadn't planned on quitting my normal job because I didn't know if I'd be able to, but the first camp post team we had didn't work out, so I had no other choice, and I had to just do it, and it ended up working out, so we survived, and it was rough opening in 2020. But we made it, and the scariest part was our loan almost didn't close because the payment protection loans were out. And we'd already started construction and already had contractors to pay, so that was pretty terrifying. But it did barely squeak by, and we made it through the year, And even though it was a weird year. But yeah, we've enjoyed it out here, and people, it's really fun. We love seeing all the families have a good time and have little two-year-olds who've never had a s'more before get their first s'more and just enjoy the area. So it's been a really great experience so far with now without challenges, but I guess if it was easy, everybody would do it. Oh yeah. The challenges always make you better with any business. David, Irene, all of us know that, you know, what what interests me here and maybe you guys can speak to this a little bit is, is specifically what Annette said. And we've talked about this on the show before. If you look at the way, and we just did briefly, right? Glamping has taken off so fast in this country despite it's been established for a long time or longer in the UK and Netherlands as Dimpy said, but I feel like this is a common refrain, right? Annette, when you were starting this in 2019, 2020, as you said, there was basically nobody doing glamping around the Colorado Springs area that you were aware of. What do you think now? We didn't look so much in Colorado Springs. So we're about two and a, we're about three well, hours. Yeah. So I apologize, but where you are now, that's what I'm at. Yeah. Well, right now it, I feel like 2021 alerted people a little bit, I guess, falsely that the camping industry is huge and it is big, but it's not 2021 big. So we've gotten a big influx of people that want to basically come. Like if I had a a dollar for every person that came here and said, I want to do what you're doing. Like I have a lot of dollars. So many people want to do it now. They almost think it's the new get rich quick scheme. And it's certainly not that. It's so much work. It's so stressful. It has its moments where it's saw a YouTube video where I can make a million dollars overnight, Annette. Yeah, it was so easy and everything was perfect and it always sunshine. So we'd actually had, I think we've got three approved glamp grounds because I'm on the planning committee also in our county. 
we've got three of them approved to build. And I don't know if they all will build, but I do know if they all do build, they won't all make it because there's definitely not enough inventory to go around to three new places because that would probably triple the inventory we have now. So it's a little concerning. And like I said, just because they're approved to build doesn't mean they will. But I do think 2020 was a false high and we have to get our get a grasp on what, I guess, what the demand really is moving forward. So this is an interesting topic. And maybe Connor, you can speak to this, right? Because we've talked about this before. Like, I think we're mostly all in agreement here that 2021, even in the, a little bit in 2022, was an outlier. But is that market really not there? Or is it just shifting and will it come back or will it like, I don't think we're ever going to have a blowout year like 2021 and 2022 again, as far as percentage up over year before. But I do think there's more of an audience there and it's growing every month, every year who are interested in glamping and alternative accommodations. So can we get back to that level even without that percentage increase eventually? My, my understanding, I think the big question is how is 2022 and 2023 compared to 2019? It's a big question yeah. to tell the more normalized trend line of the industry. And my sense in speaking with owners is that it is, again, there's not that many glam sites that had a normal year in 2019 and have that many years of operational history to, to see that trend line. But my sense is 2022 and 2023 will be above 2019. But I would be curious from like Irene or David, from what you're seeing in the market in terms of looking at any historicals, if you think that's the case as well. You are right. And I want David and Irene to answer that briefly, but you are right. There's very, there's less history in the glamping market of 2019 than there is with RV and campgrounds to compare with. Anything to add, David and Irene? I can talk about it because I was operating in 2019 and I'm operating in 2023. And I think, gosh, Annette, I can empathize with what you look at. I sit on a planning commission too. I work with zoning, helping people talk about how to get their space, special use permits. I'm seeing national brands move into the area. I'm seeing national brands struggle in the area. So it's really interesting to see. I'll just start with 2020, 2021, and a little bit of even 2022. We weren't back to normal travel. People were still keeping their kids from school. You had a longer travel season. I think anybody that sits in seasonality is looking back at the seasonality and occupancy rates that they saw 2019. The typical, like I'll use Michigan, for example, there's absolutely zero limited travel in April, May. And then June, once kids get out of school, you ramp up the travel season and then it quiets back down into October, September and October. One of the advantages that I think the fields had was we established a brand, not necessarily just accommodation. So for those that were able to establish a lifestyle brand, they were able to establish revenue in different areas and streams and curate and become first to market, um, which I think perhaps gives the fields an advantage over some of the other ones that I'm seeing that are in yep. the area that are already for sale. Established um, brand. Yeah, I think also I would tell you, I take no less than half a dozen calls a week from brokers that are trying to get me to purchase somebody else's glamping operation and take it over. And I would have said those calls started at the end of mi middle of last year, and they've really ramped up in Q1 and are going into Q2 at a discounted rate. I get nervous for the industry, for those that didn't establish brands, invested a ton of money, have high cap rates, trying to make their payments. 
didn't take it incrementally because now they're looking at variable rates at the six and seven percent. And that's just really expensive and probably weren't costed into the project with occupancy, occupancy rates of 2019. But I think the full picture won't come until the end of or end of quarter, third quarter, where the season's kind of wrapped up and everybody looked around and went, OK, who made it and who did it? And sadly, I think it's because to the thing that Annette's talking about, lots of people wanted to open up, ramp up and their price gouging because they just have to make basic payments because they can't pay the bank. And what that's happening is it's causing other businesses to perhaps lower their pricing. And then some are just getting washed out because they just didn't establish the brand fast enough. In the economic headwinds too, that we're all dealing with and may or may not get worse. Yes. But here's the interesting thought, the interesting area that I'm seeing in Connor, maybe you could speak to it or even David. A lot of them, because they were plumbed as like, I'll use the fields, for example, we were plumbed and we could be an RV park. RV parks are still blowing it out. I mean, there's still the three RV parks that are in the location closest to me are added, adding slots and they're already filled. So it's, did they ride the wave in the trend of the term glamping? Uh, and then everybody went, that was fun that we played that game for a little bit. We're going to head back to the RV park. We're going to we're going to have a cliffhanger there, right? Because I want to give Gimphy a chance to talk about her business because she's kind enough, as you can see, to join us during the evening hours there. Yes. So, Gimphy, can you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on in Romania? And then we'll get back to that because it's a really good, interesting discussion. too. Yeah, I only started the campsite last summer, so 2022. So I cannot reflect on 2019. Uh, but what I can see is that Compared to last year, we opened only in June and now I could open already in May because we didn't have any constructions going on anymore. So for me, it's already a better season than last year because I have a longer term. But what I wanted to share about Romania, since it's in the east part of Europe, I get lots of different people from different nationality all over Europe. And I think that is the most fun part and also interesting part about running a campsite or glamping. I have both. So at the moment I have people in an RV and in the weekend I will have uh, glamping tents full. So during the week I see people coming by with RVs that do a tour around uh, Europe. And in the weekends I have mostly guests from the big city nearby. But what's most fun is the different kind of cultures because we're in the east of Europe. But when people come from the west of Europe, they have a different approach about camping. And example, for example, when I look at my reviews, I've got some people, some reviews from German people. And if German people say it's a good campsite, then all the other people in Europe know that it's a clean campsite. So for somebody that has a campsite or a glamping in Europe, they have to get good reviews from German people. And then other people will also join the campsite. I just wanted to share that nationality. So is the strategy then just open and then give a discount to all the Germans to come there? That could be a strategy. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it would work. So I'm fascinated by it. I really want to explore more of Europe. I went over there in December of last year. I didn't get as far as Bucharest. You said you're outside of it. But I did go to France and Germany and Belgium and the Netherlands too. I went to Amsterdam for a couple of days just to see the Christmas markets and stuff. But yeah. it's something that just building my business, I haven't had time to do. So it fascinates me when we have European guests on to talk about the culture and how. And what we found, I think, through the people we've had on the show is that the camping glamping market is very similar over there as far as the ups and downs and the economy and the way people behave. So I'd love to hear more of your take on 
Have you done a lot of research on the differences between the states and over there or? No, not the different countries, but I mostly compare what I see in the Netherlands. Like in the okay. Netherlands, if you have glamping, you really have to have a tent with a kitchen, with a shower. That's called glamping. However, Romania being on the total other side of Europe, if I have a tent with a bed, it's already glamping. So it's it really depends if you're on the west side of Europe, how far it's been evolved compared to the east side of Europe. So. You see, I think also uh, Romania is a neighbor country of Moldavia and Ukraine. With the war in Ukraine last year, many other campsites saw a decrease in visitors because it's so close to Ukraine. Since I started, I didn't see that, that going down. So I think, yes, in general, you see the same picture in the Netherlands, Belgium, France and Italy and Germany, because those are countries that have been there have been campsite and glamping for a long time, but the countries around it, yeah, they have more ups and downs and differences within the countries. But this is just primarily, I think, an establishment thing is what you're saying. So the longer it goes in Romania, the more it will catch up to the, well, the West might be even further ahead then, but from a time perspective. Yes, exactly. Okay. Guys, any questions for Dimfi? We've got a wide open resource here for Europe and Romania. I think it's fascinating to do some comparisons to Connor, David. Irene, Annette, even? You're just gonna what, be... what are you finding that guests are most excited about? Or if you were to redevelop your property now, now that you have a season under your belt, is there anything that you would have changed, like with bathrooms or with food or anything like that or amenities? What I find is that my facilities are good. People are surprised how good it is. However, it's very hilly because it's in wine area and I want to have flat spaces. But when I try to explain that to the local people that we need RVs and I need to have like flat spaces for the RVs to park, they really didn't understand. So I tried it this summer again and now I have some flat spaces, but they are too small. So when people come with an RV, they still park it on the not so flat spaces to get them flat again. So that's something for next year. I want more flat spaces so that I can have more RVs. But also the climate change is really noticeable here as well. I have a drill in the ground that supplies me for water, but it's just not enough for when my campsite is completely full. So I try to get a connection with a water company, but also the water company doesn't always have water. So the village near my campsite sometimes for two or three days doesn't have water. That's also something for next winter I need to prepare to to have more water and to see how I get that. Now, when you talk about the paved campsites and getting a, approval, this is what it sounds like, right? Is that a planning issue? Is that a, you have to go and convince them or is it? No, I have a local mayor and he likes everything. He's fine with everything. Also, I don't have to pay tourist tax in the village. The local council can decide. And in this village, we don't have to pay tourist tax. So I'm really happy with that. Be careful. But, Everybody from America is about to come over there and open a glamping place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they could. It's in Europe, so Americans are not allowed to buy land, I think, in Romania. Okay. That might be safe then. All right. <laughs> uh, but you no, know, if I tell my the local workers that build everything here, they don't understand why I want it flat and how large it needs to be. So when I ask them to make something of beton of cement, they can do it. But I, when I, I just ask them to make the ground flat, they don't understand why and how big it has to be. So that's something I need to spend more time on for this winter. Where do you see yourself like in an ideal world being in five years with your campsite? At the moment, we have 30,000 square meters and I have only like 20 to 30 guests. And that's what I like because I want people to have uh, privacy and that is also calm and people can really re relax. 
So I don't think I want to change that much. I just want to be more flexible in having different kind of customers. As I see it now, the weekends, the glamping tents are full. But during the week, I would like to have more people with RVs or with their own tents. So just the flexibility to get more different kind of guests and in the end, more guests. That's what I would like to see in a few years. Awesome. Thank you. And please feel free to stay on if you want, or you can leave because it's late at night. It's up to you. Uh, but the last question I want to ask you before you go is just, and I'm trying to pivot back to the discussion we had, right? With finances and the change in behavior and whether businesses are going to succeed or not. Have you seen that kind of economic climate over in Europe as well? Yes, the inflation is really high. And especially in Romania, if I look at the local economy, the differences between the people that have a normal job and the people that have a good paying job is only increasing. So the kind of project that I'm doing now will become less and less affordable to the general general Romanian. And I try to invest as much as possible in local people, but I see the gap growing. And I hope if I maybe ever need to leave Romania or if I need to sell it, I would like to be able to sell it to local people that can then take it as a business. But it seems more difficult. All right, let's open this. Let's open this store, guys. Irene, I think pitched. Do you want to repeat your question, Irene? Just to David and Connor, you're asking the way in on think the people surviving through September, I believe. No, no. <laughs> that's the even room. No, but I wondered if they're seeing some of the same things that I'm seeing or getting approached again. Maybe and it could just be the natural volume of planting operations have come to the three to five year time horizon where people are wanting to figure out what their exit looks like. Or are you finding those that were like, hey, listen, we did this thinking that from a financing perspective, we were going to do it with a variable rate. And now we're sitting in a position where just the numbers just don't make sense like they did in 2018, what 2019, we're getting ready to unload and move on to something else. Another investment that may be, you know, owner-operated is a little bit of a different investment than perhaps somebody who looked at it as if it was a financial investment. Yeah. Just to add my two cents to that topic, there's so many layers to that, Irene. There's there's interest rates. What do you do if you're on a floating rate loan? And it, it doesn't really matter where you are in the real estate world, even, even in multifamily apartment buildings, which have long been thought of as the most blue chip, rock solid food group in the real estate world. Plenty of folks in that business have been blown up really in the last year because businesses were over-levered, rates went up and people can't afford debt service anymore. In the hotel industry, it's, it's the same story. The fundamentals in the hotel industry are still really strong. Travel is looking good. There's real constraints on new supply now. But again, that doesn't really matter if your debt service costs have doubled or tripled just because you're on floating rate loan and too much leverage. So I think there's some element to what's happened in the world in the last year that's affecting everyone in this real estate ecosystem, regardless of whether you are camping or camping or hotel or whatever. Glamping, there's other layers to it. Clearly, the barriers to entry are to, to creating a new glamping business are a lot lower than building a new hotel. And I think, Irene, as you've seen, or described, I think that dynamic has played out in a lot of other markets where it's probably a lot of folks who have come into the space and didn't really have a business model that could necessarily survive like this higher interest rate environment. And then on top of all of that, we've just got this other dynamic at play now, which is that as you talked about before, Connor, demand is, demand is softening in certain parts of our industry. And I think that's, that shouldn't really be a surprise. We all 
as you guys have said, I think everyone who thought about this carefully probably recognized that 2021 may not have been the best year to set your expectations to. So I think there's a lot of, we are at an interesting point now, but I think from my point of view, it's the same thing that I've been saying about clamping for, for probably two years, which is that we, this space is new. There's a lot of really fantastic reasons to be excited about it, but we are quickly exiting the period of the clamping business where just being a novelty is enough in my point of view. And I think the folks that are going to succeed from here on out are the folks that are building resilient businesses that are built for a normal cycle and not for the kind of feverish and hopefully once in a lifetime type situation that we're all in 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 2020, 2021. And that's where everything goes. Every single business goes that way. It's the people who are patient, who build something, who research it, who brand it like Irene has, who are the ones who will succeed long-term. It's never the people who just rush into the gold mine and then rush into the next thing and rush into the right. Yep, exactly. And I think that's, that's where we are now. But look, I, I also, let's not lose sight of the positives, which are that I think what's happening in this space is becoming more and more relevant with every passing day. I think they think about what's going on this year, uh, the development of AI technology, the digital world, I'm more convinced than ever that we're looking at a future where genuine connections with natural, tangible world are going to become more and more valuable to people. And I think people who are building great experiences that allow folks to connect with the outdoors are going to be the winners in this next era in the tourism cycle. I just think that we have to, we've exited the phase where you know, like the half-baked business plan is okay because there's nowhere else for people to go. We're entering into a new, the new normal now. People are able to travel in Italy and for the summer if they want to, and they're financially inclined to do. The requirement to build a durable business is not coming more and more into focus, but the, I think the long-term story, the demand story behind this space is stronger I have a little bit to add to this, if I may. Yeah, go ahead. As far as just from a, from my perspective and what we've dealt with, I think another reason people decide to sell, they have this dream of doing this. They don't foresee it's rose colored glasses. So they're just thinking of all the awesome stuff that's going to happen and all the happy guests and all the great employees and all the beautiful weather and all the money. They're thinking of that. And then when reality strikes and it's raining and all their employees quit, and they've got a rotten egg to deal with, with an employee to fire. And they've got unhappy guests because they saw a spider. And all those things pile up. All of a sudden, they realize this isn't fun anymore. I came here to have fun. I don't want to do this anymore. And I just want out. And pretty much every year, we go through about a month where we want to sell it too. We haven't, but we, I get the sentiment. So I think that that happens when you operate your own business. The honeymoon phase leaves and you realize it's not all fun and games. Yeah, I think that's something every business owner goes to, right? When at the beginning, I don't, it was so long ago and I'm so old that my memory's faded and I don't remember, but I'm sure at some point I went through that phase, right? When I was starting Insider Perks. But that, that I think everything's got to be perfect because that's what's on Instagram and social media and YouTube and everywhere else, just start a business and all of a sudden you'll have a private jet and everything will be wonderful and you'll make millions of dollars and what, and it's for the very reason that we talked about before, it's not all roses. Like it can be at the end, 
or even a lot of the times during the path, but you have to be willing to take the punches along with the roses. Brian, I think me and Annette need to start a support group. It's like the owner-operated support group. What was the craziest thing that happened this week? And because it's interesting, that's the one of the things that, and actually I'm going to find this article and I'm going to share it with you all because David, you hit the nail on the head. Really what it boiled down to was in these areas that saw this massive growth, really the test, what has stood the test of time has been incredibly hospitable owner operators, right? That built the business because they built the business for them and a lifestyle that they wanted to live. And then what they did was they said, okay, this is what I'm going to do the very best that I can. It's going to be mine. I'm going to own it and hand it on to the next generation. And those are the ones that 40, 60 years later are still the ones that are in operation. Because again, to to Brian, probably Connor, everybody's point, starting a business is nerve wracking, whether it's investment, it's consulting, it's all nerve wracking because you're putting your whole heart on the line. I think, but when you're responsible from a hospitality standpoint, and Annette, I'm sure, I mean, I'm really- More pressure. It is because you have somebody that's already paid for the performance. They paid for a percepted performance and you have to deliver for that. And you have elements that you cannot, that you can plan for, but you cannot predict weather, spider. I had a woman this week. I'm just going to tell you this story. It's hilarious and you'll laugh. I was going to ask you, you're talking about every crazy week. I want to hear your crazy week. Yeah. So this was her and I'm definitely afraid of snakes. I know this is the running joke, but I think everybody's heard my story about the snakes. And she was laying in her bed and she would, she said to herself, I bet today when I walk out of this tent, I'm going to see a snake. And it was like she was Harry Potter and rolled a snake. So she comes in and she's, you're not going to believe this. I stepped out of my tent and there was a snake. And of course me, there's nothing worse than hearing a guest say that. Yet you're in nature. We have nothing poisonous, all those things. But I thought, God damn it. Today's the snake. Tomorrow's a spider. The next day it's the snapping turtle. The day after that, it's a locust swarm following a weather tornado warnings. It's just is there anything that's easy about outdoor hospitality? No. How many locust swarms do you have? We're in for, so this year and next year are supposed to be the major hatches. Okay. You know how they have them like every 7, 17, 13? Not really. That's why I asked. Like, I'm just familiar from when I was a kid and my mom made me go to church and I heard about the locust swarm, but like all that. Brian, I'm going to tell you, when you have an outdoor hospitality and your business is dependent on it, you become a meteorologist, a psychologist. Why? Like, I'm just... A- a marketer. I'm not smart enough or brave yeah. enough or whatever to own. No. I could totally do it. Every, anybody could do it. It's just ours. No, anybody cannot do it. I think that's inaccurate. I'd be really curious to hear the group perspective on market saturation and glamping. And Irene, I know you're, you were the first mover in your market. It sounds like you were as well. And there's been a lot popping up. Some have faltered. And we get that question a lot from investors or banks. Oh, is this market saturated with glamping resorts? I'd just be curious what everyone else's perspective is on that. Sure. I've got a little bit to say about that. As you heard already, I do feel like our market has the possibility to be saturated if everybody opens. And I'm really concerned about that because we put everything on the line to open this and blah, blah, blah. But so it was a big concern when the planning commission just kept on being like, yeah, everybody, come on. There's room for all the glamping. There's not room for all the glamping. So what I did is I contacted all of the RV parks and everyone that 
was a kind of core existing business out here and just talk to them be like, hey, are you guys aware this is happening? What are your thoughts on this? We just all talked about how 2021 was an anomaly and everybody was seeing 2019 numbers, even though I didn't have a 2019, but I knew it was lower than 2020. So we all just got together and we talked to the planning commission and the county commissioners and just told them, sorry, there's a gnat bothering me, and just told them our concerns. And so what we started doing is collecting data. So we pay a marketing tax here. It's 4% and it pays for marketing. I don't know how well it works, but they pay for it. And so we've got people employed in our county to, to try to get more people to come here. Now they're collecting data on the campgrounds. And initially they just collected it on hotels. So if the planning commission said, hey, how is our demand for glamping or camping or RV parks that they initially didn't know? And I'm like, you can't just keep approving these places if you don't know, because how are people supposed to do market research and know whether their business can survive and know whether another one should be approved? So we're starting to collect data on all the campgrounds on occupancy rates. So now if another campground wants to come in, we'll see, okay, everybody's at about 50%. We probably shouldn't approve another one. So that's how we're trying to curb it here to make it sustainable and make it so that the businesses that are here will survive instead of letting so many places just start and then someone's going to fail. And we don't want failed businesses because that just leaves, it looks bad and it's just, it's not good for business and good for the county and good for taxes and all of that. So we've definitely seen, we're tracking that and we would definitely say that it's similar to a 2019 year and who knows how this year is going to be. It's too early to tell, but. I think that I'm glad that we all got together and talked and let the county know what, how we felt about it. And it did make a difference because right now they're not approving any new ones until we get another, get a temperature on it. This is your local tourism and like economic board in the county or the city? Yeah, the county. Yeah. So they're collecting that data. It's private. We get to see it, the people that participate it and that participate in it. And then they'll also provide it to the county commissioners and the planning department when requested. That's super interesting. So all the overnight lodging, hospitality businesses in the area are reporting and sending that data? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's quite a collective. Right? Yeah. It's a small area. So we probably have 10, maybe 10 lodging, indoor lodging places and five to seven campgrounds. So it's not a huge task force for it. Got it. Connor, what's your answer to that question when the the bank comes knocking? I, it just market by market. It is. So it depends on a couple main things. Is there a big demand generator in the area, right? Next to a really popular city to a really popular touristy city or tourist destination or a national park or next to a major highway or on a major traffic route. So those are the main things we, we look at on the demand side. And then we look at the supply side as well. I typically say that there's very few saturated markets for glamping in the U.S. because the representation of glamping units relative to campsites, RV sites, and hotels is still a percent of a percent. Like it's so much smaller that I think people continuing to look for a unique nature-based experience, like a glamping experience, that segment's going to continue to grow with supply. So I could only think of maybe two, maybe three markets that are like might be nearing saturation in my opinion, but I'm curious to hear what other people think about that. I think it's interesting from our perspective, briefly, just from a marketing standpoint, right? And from what the other guests have talked about, I think there's so many different factors that are influencing this either saturation or not saturation. And you're right, there are some markets who are probably getting close, right? 
But I think it's a, a question of, is it saturated or are they not marketed right? Are they right? Because there's, if you look at the demand generation, like you're talking about, if we're talking to a potential client who wants us to market their campground or their glamping resort or whatever else, then that's what we're looking at to run Google ads or do SEO on their website is what's nearby that someone is already coming to the area to see. Is it a national park? Is it a river? Is it a city? Is it a highway? Is it whatever? And then we're looking at that demand for related keywords on Google already to see how many people are searching for it and looking for it. And I think with glamping, that demand is in some ways both camping and the conversion from or the upscaling from camping cabins or deluxe cabins. And then also how many can we pull from the demand of the hotel market nearby? But I think a lot of people don't do that marketing for one, it's really complex. It's really complicated or even though it exists or aren't willing to spend on it, but then in, in combination with all the other factors we're talking outside of marketing, it really is a muddy picture to see. I think I, what Irene's saying is very true. I think we're going to have to just see in September. Yeah, I'll give you just a couple tidbits. So in South Haven, in our area, we pay a back tax. That back tax goes into, it's 5%. It gets pulled with all the other accommodations. There's no exclusion. If you have nine rooms or more, you pay a back tax. So we have access to a lot of that data. I will tell you there, while you were chatting, Connor, there were two things and I just wonder if you consider them as you're having some of the analysis done. We talk about opportunity costs, right? So the reality is for an outdoor hospitality business, most of them do not most. Yeah, most of them do not run a full season for a lot of reasons. Zoning doesn't permit it. We'll just use in Michigan. You get 180 days of operation. So your business model has to be run during that time. Obviously, in order for the business model to make sense, your pricing has to be adjusted accordingly. And to add to that, some of the things that you want to make sure is your guest is choosing you based on the experience and not necessarily on the price. Brian, if nothing would be worse than me having somebody show up to a campsite because they've selected on price and then they've come in expecting that they were having a microwave and something else because they were choosing to stay at a hotel. So there's that. But there's the marketing, right? You have to set expectations appropriately. You do, but then you also have to price in a way that has your consumer choosing yes, based on sure. that as well. So I think I'll use just in terms of marketing and getaways not here so they can't represent themselves, but I'll use getaway as an example because they're 15 miles from us. Um, you know, their team, when you grow up in an area and you're very familiar with the area, oftentimes you work with some of the people that are running some other businesses. So you're just intermingling and talking about business. But you'd be remiss not to see some of their marketing right now where they're discounting everything at 45%. So the occupancy in their locations is like bismal. And some of it could be pricing, could it, some of it could be location. But when I talk, when you look at a saturation of a market, I don't think it's necessarily a saturation of a market. It could just be the wrong product in the market. So that's where sometimes the thought that you can just plant any product in any market sometimes doesn't make sense because the market when you look at the market research, does the market demand itself to have an owner operator or is it looking for a big box to come in because that's what the consumer is conditioned for? So I would say in the area that I'm in, um, most certainly I would argue that consumer is conditioned to look for the owner operator, not the national brand. That's, but I would say maybe if you're going to a national park, they would most certainly want to be looking for a national brand because the way that they're looking for it, they're looking for it a little bit more nationally. Just some things in terms of. Yeah, you're not wrong. And so then yeah, I think it's also easier in an up economy, which we're not heading into, to recondition people too. Whereas in a down economy, it's a lot harder to do that. You definitely want to start with a base as high as you can. 
Yeah. There's some reconditioning that can go on, I think, when more people are on the road and traveling. Yeah. And I think, Irene, just thinking about your property as well, you touched on an important point as well, which is that I think, like, I, tell me if you disagree with this, but I've, I would think that your property, Fields of Michigan, induces so much of its demand because you've created something special that people created a plan. Make, a, make an effort to go and visit, even if they weren't otherwise thinking about South Haven necessarily. Correct. That thinking about, like sat saturation, I think is a really important topic for anyone to think about if they are embarking on a new business venture. But I also think that it's not complete. I don't think it's the wrong question, but I think for some properties, it may not be entirely the right question because you've got to think this is not, we all know that this, this is not, it's not a, by definition, it's not a commodity, but it's not like adding one more. 10 more RV bays, the market that's already got a thousand and you figure out like, it, do we need a th 1,010 or is 1,000? So many of the successful businesses in this space are doing something that is by definition completely new. Even if it is, mm -hmm. even if there's other clamping supply there, what you offer Irene is a very different experience to what the getaway in your market offers. And so. I almost think trying to do a saturation calculation is maybe not entirely the right question. If you are offering something that is so differentiated and, and speaks so much to what people want, even if they don't know that they even if they don't know that they want it yet, that you can almost transcend the whole like question of, are there too many units already in my mind? You're right. Saturation is absolutely the wrong question because you look at whatever business you're talking about, saturation comes from mediocrity or being average. There is always the opportunity to come in and invent something new, whether it's the iPhone in 2008 or whatever glamping site you're starting in 2023. If you can give people an experience that you can wrap a brand around and sell to them, you can succeed. I would say I love when competition comes in. I always say competition sharpens knives. It really does. It, and I love it. I'm like, I, it, Why? it just has me going, getting really comfortable putting the blinders on and going, this is the lane. This is the lane. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. I'm unapologetic about it. This is the delivery of service and under the process of field way. But I would tell you, I've been able to do that because I started so small, 2018, 2019 in incremental pieces, never taking on too much of a project, too much low. I'm to be able to say debt-free and be able to make decisions from that place is entirely different than having to make a decision from shit, the bank is called and what bill is not getting paid so I can pay a bill today. It's a different position, but yeah. like my dad always said, pigs get fed, hogs get slaughtered. It was like always going to be a really small, steady build for a lifestyle, not necessarily for a lottery scratch off ticket. And that's it. That's the, it always works that way. Every successful business for the long term, slow and steady wins the race. Beauty. Yeah. But there are a couple exceptions, certainly. Nobody's saying, but for the most part, the business owners who either know that going in or learn that through, I messed up and not right, are the ones that succeed. It's taken me 12 years. I'm not anywhere close to where I want. It's taken me 12 years and I messed up. I don't know. I still mess up 12 times a day, probably. But slow and steady yet, like I have that pace. I don't want to be the number one anything next week. And I'm sure you don't either, Irene. You want to be number one with what you do, with what your brand fits. 
Yeah. And consumer will come to you. All right. Yeah. We've got three, four minutes left. Anybody have any final thoughts? I feel like if I, well, I, I want Connor to tell us what the two markets he thinks are saturated. Yeah. I was going to ask too, but I felt like he would be too afraid to say it online. So I was no, going to say it, Connor. Like you already copped out in the beginning of the show when I asked if you had anything on your plate. So you've already used your one cop out. Perhaps Zion. And then we're also, we're also working in the Austin market. There's just a lot of activity there. And I don't think either of those markets is necessarily saturated because you have such huge demand generators. Like Austin is a massive tourist and business location that people are traveling to. And that outdoor hospitality represents such a small percentage of the accommodation. And then same with Zion. I think it's 4 million annual visitors going to Zion. And so again, those people are, it's in national parks are the best because those are people going for an outdoor experience. And so still, if you look at the percentage of glamping units compared to hotel units available in the Virgin area, it's a small fraction. There's places where you're seeing like Zion's one of the only places where you drive down the road and you're like, oh, there's a glamping business. Oh, there's a glamping business. There's another one. So that's the first place where I was like, okay, wow, maybe there is a lot. But that, those are the only two I can think of. I've got a question for Connor. Sorry, go ahead, Irene. Connor, what are you seeing? I guess if you were to give owner operators who are looking to start as they've worked through and you're consulting for people, the different iterations of accommodations. What are you feeling like is the ultimate accommodation that you would recommend that you're like, this is where, what our recommendation would be? Apparently we're not done putting Connor on the spot. That's super interesting. So after looking at so after looking at the data across the glamping industry, the glamping businesses, and then looking at the hip camp data and looking at the RV data, although that doesn't really count. And then I look at cost seasonality and ADR domes are the clear winner every time shockingly. And uh, there's very few notable businesses. None of the major brands are really using them at this time. So it's really interesting because they represent a very small portion of the glamping units available in the market. But that's why I think they're successful. We just talked about mediocrity average. So when everybody has domes, it's going to be something new. Yeah. So that's, if I was starting a business right now, I've looked at enough data where I, I would just feel so compelled to use those just because every market I look at or every data set I look at, it's always in the top two or three units. Yeah. And it's most of the time they're super cost effective. They typically can have high values or can be left up year round. They have high snow ratings, wind ratings. And that's true. That for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I think that's a, yeah. And I think if I, I want to take a trip down to Zion too sometime, I mean, I have to go, my girlfriend wants to go to Zion if she's ever been, but I would love to see how many of those businesses that are all over the place for glamping are mediocre or average or doing something different like Irene. And then again, I think some of those are probably not going to make it as long as they think they are, or they did think they were in 2021, 2022. But it's definitely interesting. I think I would love to dive into the saturation. I really appreciate you bringing that up, David. That's a great thought. Just that's the wrong question. And I think there's so much to unpack there. We can probably do a whole show on it. But does anybody have any future thoughts or any final thoughts here before we wrap up? we got a couple more seconds. I just want to clarify. I don't think it's completely the wrong question. I think everyone has to do their homework on supply and demand. Everybody but it's, it's always, it's a balance. And I think that like, you, you think about the other thing I'll just add on to what Connor said is that I think this is a lesson from the hotel industry, I think, is that 
sometimes as a hotel investor, you can look at markets and say, geez, there, there are so many hotels that have opened there in the last couple of years. Look at Nashville, for example. But I think you also have to be careful. Sometimes, sometimes the supply story is like the most interesting thing, but sometimes it's the second most interesting thing behind the demand story. And again, Nashville is a great example for that. The market has completely changed. It needs a lot more hotel rooms. So I think this space, I think you have to think about those sorts of questions as well. You can't be completely blind to it and you can't be so, I don't think you can have so much hubris as to say, what I'm doing is going to be so different that I don't care. I mean, different to right. competition. But I do think that there is, I think that it's actually important to have a little bit of hubris in this space, because if you don't think that what you're doing is differentiated to everyone else, like you should probably go build two apartments or something instead. Just go play that game of supply and demand in another industry. I think what makes Clapping special is, it, you know, like by definition, the people who have built great businesses in this space have done stuff that is differentiated and comparable to the competition. So I just, I want to clarify, I don't think it's the wrong no. question, but I think it's, I think it's, I think it's not, I think it's not the only way. And that's it. And admittedly, I've raised it wrong too. So I appreciate the clarification. I think it's just, there's a danger with any question, whether it's saturation or marketing or finances or whatever, of stopping with that generic question and not digging into the 10 or sub questions underneath it. And I think maybe to build on what you're saying, David, if you, if you could identify that there is a market that's underserved in terms of supply, at least in the short term, it's a lot harder to miss. It's sure. a lot harder to yep. mess that up. But then you could also look at it and say, hey, if I know that I have a differentiated operation like the fields, I can go into most markets and I'll be in a top operator that creates my own demand and stands out in that market, regardless of how much inventory there is. Yeah. All right. We got to wrap this up. We're already over. I want to take some time to thank our sponsor for the show, Horizon Outdoor Hospitality. I forgot to do it at the beginning again, but I did put up the banner you guys saw in the middle to give them some extra love. So hopefully they'll forgive me for that. But super excited to have them as a show, as a sponsor of the Glamping episode. If you guys are interested in management services, consulting, things like that, Scott Foos and his team are a great company. But thank you guys. appreciate you joining us again. Irene, David, Connor. It's super exciting to learn about Romania. And I'd love to have more of those guests on. So grateful to our team for booking those people. And we will see you all next week on another episode. Take care, guys. Good to see you guys. Take care. Thanks. See you guys. Thanks for watching this episode of MC Fireside Chats, hosted by Brian Searle and Kara Sismadia. Have a suggestion for a future show or want to see your campground or company as part of an episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Join us next week for another episode. And don't miss the latest outdoor hospitality news and commentary from around the world at moderncampground.com.